Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. And as you know by now, we're in this together, and we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. So best friends, worst enemies, buddies, adversaries, confidants, competitors, what am I talking about? Siblings. One minute they're getting along, the next minute they're fighting tooth and nail like lions and tigers. Some parents might even wonder under the most extreme duress, will there ever be a day that they just get along? Well, the yes answer we've all been looking for may be closer than you think because we have Dr. Laura Markham on the show today to help us create some peaceful sibling relationships. Dr. Laura Markham trained as a clinical psychologist, earning her PhD from Columbia University. She's the mother of two, now ages 21 and 25. Dr. Laura is the author of the wonderful and celebrated book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting. And the topic of today's podcast, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, is the name of her second book, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. Sounds well? Well, you can find out all about Dr. Laura online at www.ahaparenting.com. That's A-H-A parenting.com. So much to learn today. So excited myself for this. We are grateful to have you. Welcome, Dr. Laura Markham, to the show, How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you, Robin. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Personally, I'm really excited to have you. And professionally, I'm a fan of your work. Thrilled to have you on that level as well. Before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to read your books or to meet you in person, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and what made you so interested in peaceful families and peaceful siblings? Mm. Well, when my son was born, I, of course, uh, was totally involved with him. And I loved being a mom. And I was a clinical psychologist. I had completed my last class before he was born and, and was ready to do my internship. So I wasn't graduated yet, but I was working on my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And everything was rosy. And then he started to beg for a little sister. This is embarrassing. He said, so I would have someone to talk to while you and dad are both on the phone. (laughs) Embarrassing. So I was so excited to tell him he was going to have a sibling. But in the course of that conversation, it suddenly hit him that it could be a boy instead of a girl. Oh, no. And he said, oh, mommy, you don't need a boy. You have a boy. And I realized, oh, my goodness. It's really true. They think they can be replaced. Everything, you know, that that 
we say in psychology that we don't really believe. We think, you know, we parents think, oh, it'll be a wonderful gift to him. He'll be so happy to have this sibling. And to him, it's a boy. He said, and because what happened was he was quite upset about this for a day or two. And then he calmed down. And I said, so it's okay with you if, if the baby's a boy? And he said, yeah, because I realized we can always send it back. Oh, goodness. That's classic. <laughs> yeah. He was three years old at the time. So, so when he, she was born, he was still not happy to have a sister, even though the sister was what he had begged for. He suddenly realized that it was a pretty awful thing to have a little sister because she was always on my lap or crying or needed to be fed or something. And his life would never be the same. And he started to say things like, I hate her. I don't know why. I just do. And, Aww. you know, of Aww. course, part of me wanted to say to him, this poor defenseless infant, you can't eat her. You're supposed to defend her. You're her big brother. But instead, I said, oh, sweetheart, it must be so hard now. Nothing's the same, is it? You want me to come and help you with your trains, but, but I had to feed the baby. You know, sweetie, you can always tell me when it feels hard, and I'll always understand, and I'll always help you. And his his tight little face would sort of begin to relax, and he would go limp in my arms, you know, after being rigid and tight and angry. He would just sort of melt in my arms. And I would hug him, and then he would go off and play with his trains. But I would see him 20 minutes later. He would go over to the bassinet where the baby was sleeping, and he would pet her gently. And I realized, you know, it's just he just has to be able to talk about how he feels, and then he doesn't have to act on it. Right. And that was where interest in siblings started. I, I thought, we don't know how to do this. How would we know, right? And our instinct is to fight against the way they feel, but actually, if we can accept it and help them with it, everything can start to shift. And as it turned out, he turned into a wonderful big brother. But I'm convinced that if I hadn't allowed him to feel the way he felt, and felt the way he felt, to have those feelings, and if I hadn't supported him and stayed connected to him, and I worked really hard to keep that connection with him, despite the baby, if I hadn't done those things, I think he might have been like so many kids I see, where he resents her, and he never stops resenting her. And as it turns out, he was able to accept her and become a really nurturing big brother. But it, it really did take some attention. And I, I just think it's not fair to parents that we don't teach them these things because they don't necessarily know them. How would they? Oh, so important. And I'm so glad that you're here to talk to us about that today because I think a lot of parents have these issues and, and you, the tendency is to fight against them. I'm wondering if you can tell us why you found siblings get into such terrible fights? Is it just about the competition or is there something else happening? I think there are a few things happening. It's sort of the perfect storm. I mean, when you think about it, we were not really raised to know how to do constructive conflict management, most of us. Right. So they don't necessarily have good role models at home, even in the way we might relate to our partner or relate to them. So we start there. And then we have to add to that that they have an immature prefrontal cortex, right. which means the executive function of the brain is not developed yet. It doesn't finish until age 25, if then. And so you, you have a three-year-old. How are you really 
expecting a three-year-old to know how to navigate the fact that the one-year-old is always knocking down their tower. Of course, they're going to slug him, you know? Right. So, you know, we're, we're not so good at working things out. The, the three, four, five, six-year-old is not going to be able to. And then when they're little, if we intervene in positive ways and teach them skills, by the time they're eight or 10, you'll hear them using those skills and saying things to each other like, can I use it when you're done with it? Or how, how long before it'd be my turn? Mm. Or, oh, that really hurt my feelings. Or the rule is kindness. That's not kind when you say that to me. That hurt my feelings. You know, those kinds of comments will come out of an eight-year-old's mouth, but only if they've been taught it by you as they were a little younger. So, or you can start when they're eight also. But the point is, we often don't know how to teach them the skills to get along. Mm. And then I would say, you know, jealousy comes from feeling that you might be losing something, from a sense of loss. And, you know, when my daughter was born, my son did have a very real loss. I have to acknowledge that as much as I tried to be a great mom to him, and he gained something, my goodness, he gained this sister who will be his friend for life. But at the time, it felt like a loss to him. And so it makes sense because biologically, there's a scarce resource here. It's the parental time and attention and love. And we never have enough time, right? And the child is asked to give up some of that, that he needs to thrive so that we can give it to the sibling. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's, there's a, a quote cure for that, which is that every child needs to hear from us. No matter how much your little sister gets, there's always more than enough for you. Mm. I could never love anyone more than I love you. Mm. But of course, we often are stretched. We often don't have enough time. And it is always a challenge, the more children you have, to spread yourself around between them. So it makes sense that kids would be jealous, given all these factors, right? Mm. And the great, is, the great news is that your relationship with each child is one of the biggest predictors of how well they will get along with each other as they grow older. So you can't control your kids. You there's a lot you can't necessarily even control the spacing. You certainly can't control, you know, what their personality is or whether they're boys or girls or, you know, so you don't really know how they're going to get along, but you can control how you relate to each child, how deep and sweet each relationship is, how much you listen to them and connect with them. And when you do that, when you safeguard each relationship, then they have a foundation to feel their needs are met and to get along better with each other. That's the research is very clear on this point. It is the biggest predictor. So how do you foster that positive relationship? We things are busy, you know, parents get busy. They do have a finite amount of time. So how do we ensure that our child feels that they have our full attention when we're with them and that they don't feel that sense of loss? What is it that we're going to do with them? Yeah, I that is the million dollar question, right? Mm -hmm. And you just said something really important, that they really feel our presence mm -hmm. when we're with them. How often are we just on automatic pilot? We have so many balls in the air we're juggling. We're trying to figure out. We pick them up at school, and we're figuring out we're having for dinner, and we have to return that phone call, and, you know, oh, my goodness, there's a report we have to work on after they go to sleep or whatever. There's so much going on. And we, they get in the car, and they jabber away, and we're our minds on another track entirely. So I think often 
it's just a matter of showing up, of saying, you know, we only have 900 weeks with them. That's it. Then they're gone. <laughs> and that's mm. age 18. So, and you really don't have half of that because that's the teen years, you know? Right. <laughs> so really, if you think about it, your, your, your best shot is before the teen years start, you know? So, so, you know, focus when you're there, you know, when you're with them, turn off your phone, you know, put in the charging station by the front door and do not pay attention to it. Once you have family time, you know, really try to show up and be fully present with them when you're with them. I'd say that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is build in habits of connection into your routine because then you don't have to think about it. You know, every morning when you get up, make it a practice to connect with each child. Maybe you snuggle with them each for five minutes. You know, maybe, you know, with your teenager, you sit down and you have your coffee at the table with her while she's, you know, waking up. That might be too much in her face for a teenager, you know. <laughs> maybe it's just that, you know, with my teenagers, I got up no matter what I was doing and I went to the door as they left the house every morning to give them a hug goodbye. And they laughed at me, but I did it anyway. And the few times that for some reason I didn't jump to do it, they looked at me like, Mom, aren't you going to hug me? Oh. They were teenagers. But, and the reason I did that, I'll tell you, is that I had read some research that men who've had a heart attack, the biggest predictor of whether they'll have a second heart attack is whether their wife hugs them goodbye in the morning when they leave for work. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, okay, well, you know, we don't know what the research would say about those teenagers, but it's got to be protective, you know. And I just think if we can work into our routines a way, you know, my husband had brunch with my daughter on Saturday morning once a month, basically starting from the time she was about six years old until she left for college. And they, you know, certainly once in a while they'd miss a month, but they both treasured that time yes. together. Yes. And sometimes nothing big happened. They'd play cards over brunch, you know, but sometimes she would tell him what was on her mind or mm -hmm. she would ask him about boys. Mm -hmm. and now, the most amazing conversations would happen because she knew that that was a time she had her dad's full attention. Yes. And I just think if we can build those moments of connection into our lives with our children, you know, it just deepens the relationship in a way that you can't do otherwise when you're winking all the time. I agree. And that's beautiful. I, I do have similar memories of having the same situation with my father. We talked about doing lunch and we would, it was just such a, a wonderful thing, really important. I had a strong relationship with my mother, but I also was able to foster that. And my father was able to foster that with me. And, and I think it does make a difference. Uh, and we did have those very uh, interesting conversations that you don't always think you're going to have with your father. I think that's great that your daughter did that and, and that your husband did that. That's that's terrific. Um, now, we know that siblings often fight with each other, and, and obviously my kids do. They love to be with each other one minute, and the next minute, this one's too close, the other one's annoying, this one is touching me, the one's looking at me funny, this one took my game. So how can we help to foster peaceful sibling relationships in kids when they're both present? Well, part of it is the skills you give them to navigate conflict. So, you know, we know that any human relationship has conflict. Mm -hmm. They're two individuals. They have a different set of needs, you know. And 
we know that children are living, you know, together. They're often asked to share things. They're always asked to share their parents and they don't necessarily have those skills. So in the beginning for the first three months, it can be a lot of work to do that intervention. So I would always start out this conversation by saying, you don't have to intervene every time, but you can watch for your opportunities. So, you know, as your children are starting to get riled up at each other and you're listening from the other room, you know, notice whether this sounds like something they're working out with each other well or not. And if not, you go in the other room and you, you, you know, most of us go running in when someone finally gets hit or when somebody's saying something really mean to the other one. And then we're running in like an avenging angel. That exacerbates the storm, right? The, our job is to calm the storm. And also, really, rule number one is don't take sides. I know you feel like you have to defend your child who just got in some way insulted or hurt, or who the, the older one's always picking or hurting on, you know, hurting the feelings of the younger one or picking on them. We always feel that we need to do that. But the truth is, A, you don't really know what just happened. You didn't hear the whole interaction. Even if you did, you don't know what happened this morning or yesterday when you weren't hearing it. And then let's say you did. Let's say you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your oldest one is always mean to your younger one, always. And you just know it because you hear it all the time and you're just, you just have to stick up for your younger one because you know you can't let them be treated that way. So think about this. When you go into that room and you take your younger one's side and you scold the older one, what do they both walk away feeling and thinking? All right. right. Well, the research shows. You ask any kid this. In fact, I do workshops all the time with parents. Uh, and when we do the sibling workshop, I have two parents come up and we reenact the scene. And I hold the mic up and I say, so to, to each child, I say, so how'd you feel? And it's 100% of the time, this is what happens. The, the parent, the, the child, um, or the parent who's acting like a child, uh, who was scolded says, she won, you love her more. Yeah, of course. I hate her, and I'm, I'm going to, the minute you're out of the room, I'm going to needle her, and I'm going to never forgive her. Right? This is not a foundation for a good relationship. No. It, right? And the other one, I say to the other one, well, how did you feel? Did you feel I came and protected you? Yeah. Mommy protects me. I can say whatever I want and I'll get away with it because she protects me, right? And I'm the winner. And also I've had people say, I, I, it's, I realize that I want to keep my big brother or big sister from ever being in mom's affections because this is the way I stay protected is that mom thinks I'm always right. So I've got to keep my, I've got to undermine my big brother or sister or the, the other child. I've got to undermine them so they're always the bad kid so right. I can be the good kid. Like, really, this is what we want to do in our homes? So instead, if you go in and you say, whoa, 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 I hear loud voices. You two are having a hard time. How, what's going on? Even if you heard, like, even if the four-year-old is being mean to the baby, say nasty things to the baby and the baby can't possibly be being mean to the four-year-old, you still would say the same thing. You two are having a hard time with each other, right? And that keeps that child from being blamed so they're more open to your influence at this moment, to influence them. Now, are you going to protect your, your child? Of course, you're protecting that, both children. But remember, instead of being the avenging angel, what you really want 
is to coach your child to stand up for him or herself. So let's say that the younger one's always being picked on. You can say, huh, honey, it looks like you're not really enjoying that game where, where the older child is snatching away her teddy bear. <laughs> you know, that's not fun for you. <laughs> you're not enjoying that. You can tell your brother. Can you tell, you can tell your brother that you don't like that game. Right. So you're coaching the child to stick up for herself instead of you saying, get that teddy bear back. Right. You're not always the one stepping in and protecting, which creates really a victim and a perp. You don't want a victim and a perp. You want two people who have the skills to work something out. So two things happen in that dangling the teddy bear game. One is you want to teach your younger child or whoever it is to stand up for themselves. But the other is you want to ask yourself, why does my child, why does the big sister feel a need to grab the teddy bear and dangle it in front of her. You know, she's, uh, you know, most people will abuse power if power is just given to them. And so being an older sibling, they might just be abusing their power. But it might also be that she's jealous, that she feels like her sister always gets what she doesn't have, right? Mm -hmm. And so making sure you get one, uh, this is back to the habits, making sure you get that one-on-one -on -one time with each child, making sure that during that time you're really listening and you're really allowing her to take the reins and you're not trying to make her a better person. And, you know, um, you're not using that time to even, I love reading to children. It's my favorite thing in the world. I love it too. Not yes. them. You're not, you're not trying to um, do anything with structure. You're leaving it open. So they decide what to do and you're, you're putting them at the center of your existence. That really helps avoid things like that. But let's say the child's doing this dangling, the teddy bear thing, and you go in there and you, you start the conversation, you know, with, with both kids, what's going on? It's my teddy bear. No, it's my teddy bear. No, it's my turn. I had it first. You had, you know, like whatever. And they're going back and forth and say, wow, this is a hard problem to work out. You both think it's your turn with the teddy bear. This is going to, this is hard to solve. I wonder if I can help you. Let's sit down. So the first thing you've had to do actually is take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. I call this stop, drop, and breathe. What you're doing, just drop, drop, <laughs> drop and turn off the stove, walk into the other room, drop your agenda, you know, which is to make the older one be nicer to the younger one. Just drop the agenda for the moment and take a deep breath. Calm yourself down. The research shows when we breathe consciously, always, always shifts our nervous system to a place of greater calm. The more you practice it, the more effective it is, but it always works. Basic mindfulness is probably your most important tool as a parent so you can calm these situations down. Mm -hmm. Because when you go in and you're upset, it's contagious. They feel it. So when I say stop, drop, and breathe, you can even take it literally. Just drop onto the floor, oh. each child's hand, and pull them down next to you, one on each side. You're always touching both children. Mm -hmm. So looking at one and empathizing. Oh, so you feel like it was your turn with the teddy bear because of X, Y, Z? The child you're looking at is like, yeah, I'm being validated. The other child is feeling like mom's looking in the other direction at my competitor and validating them. Uh-oh. Right. You have to have a hand on the other child at the same time. And then you turn to the other child. You, your hands are in both places at once. And you're listening to each of them and you're restating what they say. And the reason you're doing this is that the fight happens so quickly and they're blaming each other that they don't really even notice that there's another point of view that might be legitimate. When you restate both points of view, then they're like, it depersonalizes it. 
like, oh, there might be some kernel of truth in my sibling's argument here, right? right. When you, and then they also both feel heard. They both feel validated. And sometimes you can move right into problem solving, like, hmm, this is a tough situation. You want to play, you know, kitchen, and you want to play astronaut. Wow. And so I wonder what you could do. What are some ideas? And you could maybe move right into problem solving, which you actually can write down the solutions. What solutions would you have? You know, you could play separately. You could, you know, play astronaut. You could play kitchen. You could play kitchen on the moon. You know, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> but feelings are too upset for kids to move into problem solving yet. So that's really a last step. It's a great skill to teach, but it's a last step. Really before that, the skill is to help them say to each other what they need to say. So it might be, uh, so it sounds like it really hurt your feelings when your brother said, when your brother said that you were, called you a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a baby. Yeah. Can, you want to tell your brother that? You can tell your brother how it made you feel. I'm not a baby. Don't call me a baby. And sometimes when you say, tell your brother how you feel, they say, I feel like you're an idiot. <laughs> and you have to say, not a feeling. You can tell your brother how you feel without calling names. And you're always, as the parent, upholding the household rules. Like, in our family, we don't call names. In our family, we try to be kind. Mm-hmm. And these are just the, and you say, our house rule is we try to be kind. In our family, we don't call names. You can, but you can tell your brother how you feel. And then if the other child is really sort of smug and not really taking that in, you can say, Henry, what are you hearing your brother say? And he's going to have to deal with the fact that what he did, teasing his brother and calling him a baby, does have repercussions because it is a real relationship to him. So, you know, you're doing it in the most gentle manner you can where Henry doesn't feel um, like a bad person, but he feels like, oh, okay, now I get it. I guess, you know, I overlooked somebody's feelings, which by the way, we've all done. It doesn't make him a bad person. Right. Absolutely. So I'm guessing that while you are providing all of these skills to the children, eventually they're able to do it by themselves, that we're giving them the skills so that hopefully they're able to do these without bringing us into it. And we don't need to go into the other room and stop, drop, and breathe because they're doing it on their own. Is, is that what you wind up overhearing after a while? Absolutely. It takes about three months. So I did a lot of research with parents in writing my sibling book. I have a very active Facebook page and I asked parents to be the advanced readers for my book and to critique. There are many, many scripts in the book about how to teach children these skills and how to intervene in different kinds of situations. And I got so many ideas from parents, but I also got a lot of feedback as they use the book with their children. I asked them what happened. And that's exactly what happens is that parents don't believe this is possible. (laughs) And then they write to me after doing this for a month or two, and it works faster with younger kids. So three-year-olds pick it up in a month, eight-year-olds, it takes three months. Mm -hmm. But the parents would write to me and say, I couldn't believe it. They were in the other room and I heard, you know, the two younger ones fighting and the older one who was, the older one was five, was walking <laughs> by, right? The older one's five, walking by and said, baby, you can tell her you want to turn to the, to the little one, to the one-year-old, you know? And 
baby baby looks at the three-year-old turn turn okay baby you know like so it's sort of amazing that even they'll even teach each other these skills but they really do um they'll say things like you know um uh Will you tell me when you're done so I can have a turn, please? Like a three-year-old can actually say that. It's sort of astounding, but and you wouldn't believe it until you hear it. But once you've modeled it for them over and over again, they absolutely do learn it pretty quickly. And and I'm not going to lie. It takes time in the beginning to go in. But as I say, you don't have to do it every single time, you know. You can even pick and choose sometimes because you're, you know, sometimes you have the time and sometimes you're just trying to get everybody out of the house in the morning. But the more often you do it, the more quickly they will learn the skills. So the skills that we're talking about right now really have to do with dealing with problems as they come up, dealing with the arguing, helping to kind of dissipate the the frustration and, and make things more peaceful. Are there also skills that you suggest that help them navigate bringing together some more just positive bonding, like just yeah. becoming best friends, not to resolve any fighting, but how do they learn to just love one another, be with each other, accept one another? So the good news is that it's all about the positive time they spend together. So the studies on this show that the more positive interactions kids have when they're children, the closer they will be to their sibling for the rest of their life. And even kids who are faced, spaced pretty close together and fight a lot when they're little, as long as they also have time when they're really getting along well, those kids will stay close. That's good news for me. Mine are 16 months apart. And, you know, they're best friends and the worst enemies at times. So those are the kids who will stay close for life. I had a bigger challenge because my kids were spaced further apart, which made it much easier for me and made for less jealousy and less friction. But it did mean that they didn't have natural ways to play together. So in my book, I do address that and uh, give parents tips to create those positive interactions. And one rule of thumb, you know, you've probably heard never wake a sleeping baby. Mm -hmm. The, The slightly older version of that for children is never interrupt a happily playing child. Beautiful. Right, that's their work. That's children's work is their play. And that's what they need to be doing intellectually. And it also means that they're happy and busy and not, you know, getting into trouble and mischief. But here's the next one. When two children are playing together, do it happily, your two siblings, do whatever you can to protect that space for them. You know, if you had to go to the grocery store, but now you'd have to interrupt them to do it, try not to. Mm -hmm. Try to figure out a different solution. Because any time they're playing happily together is gold. That's like, who wants breakfast for dinner that night, right? (laughs) Exactly right. And so you can also come up with things that kids like to do together. So even kids who are spaced a little further apart or the boy and the girl who have very different interests or, you know, as I said, the astronaut and the, the cook, you know, play, you know, restaurant on the moon, you know, find ways that they can, you know, maybe they'll both do art projects. And even though they're working at a very different level, they can sit together doing art and they'll enjoy that. Anything you can do to foster a positive interaction. And here's another interesting tidbit from the research. When we talk to kids about how lucky they are to have a sibling mm-hmm. and how siblings stick together and protect each other and they've always got each other's back and that even though it's normal to get irritated at siblings because people who live together do sometimes get irritated at each other, 
it's a special gift that you got in life. When we present it to them that way, kids do believe us. It's We're placing a premium, a value. It basically comes across that that is something we value. And just like you might value honesty or kindness, the child is going to absorb that and say, this is, this is something I value, having a sibling. So there's research that shows that Children, if this was actually a research on sisters, but sisters who grew up with the parents always talked about how great it was to have a sister. Those sisters stayed closer for life than sisters who the parents, it never really came up. It just wasn't part of the discussion. Those sisters were less likely to, you know, if they clicked, great. If they didn't click, they didn't think of it as any big deal and they went their separate ways. So we can create a family culture where people really value the connection between the siblings. I remember a moment just while you're talking to me. I do remember a moment when my father had me sitting on his lap after I had this big argument with one of my brothers who was three years older than me, and we used to fight all the time. And and I remember him saying something like that. I mean, I just remember sitting there, and I remember that I I was getting this information that you know, this is, this is your brother and this is your brother for life. And this is a very special relationship. And I'm still retaining that because it was probably when I was about five years old. So I'm wondering if you have children in front of you, a child in front of you, how would you actually speak to them about sibling bonding, about connection or understanding or tolerance? What would you say to them that helps them truly understand the gift that they have, and what they should be doing with that gift? Well, the first rule of thumb would be don't make it a lecture. Mm -hmm. Always start by empathizing with what the child is feeling and acknowledging their position before you give them any additional perspective. So how Mm -hmm. how our child are we talking about? We could do different ages. What are you thinking? Um, Let's start with the younger ones and then do maybe an example of a teen one as well. Okay. So, you know, a five-year-old, I would start from, yeah, it can be annoying sometimes to have a little sister. She really wants to do whatever you're doing, doesn't she? And sometimes she gets into your thing. She wants to touch everything that's yours, doesn't she? I know, that can be pretty annoying. And then you shut up, you're just quiet, and you let your child speak. And they will say, yeah, and they'll list all 20 reasons she's so annoying, (laughs) right? And that's okay because, as I say, unless we acknowledge what they're actually feeling, they don't have a chance to heal that. And the sibling love doesn't have a chance to bloom. It gets buried under this sort of crud of the emotions, right? But emotions are just a message to us. When you, when you actually allow yourself to feel an emotion, it begins to dissipate and heal and go away. That's true for all emotions. Even something big like grief, if you've ever, if you know, if you let yourself feel it, eventually it's able to go on with your life, right? right? right. So, so this child who's annoyed at his sister, you know, I'm going to give him a chance to tell me all the reasons and I'm going to acknowledge, yeah, yeah, that would be pretty annoying. Yeah, I can see why you feel that sometimes. And I would acknowledge it all and then I would be quiet about it and then I would say, I, there are many different things you could say at this point, and it probably is not just one conversation. Sure. But, but if it's the first time you're having this conversation, you might say, yeah, I can really understand that. And then you might even validate, you know, given that, that sometimes she can be really annoying, I'm really impressed 
that you go out of your way to help her and be kind to her. I saw you help her with XYZ this morning. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot to me to see that you do that. Um, and you know, I know it means a lot to her. And so then you acknowledge that there's something positive in the relationship. And you can take this in many different directions. One conversation might be to say, do you ever see the way she looks at you? Mm. Right? And, you know, I think she looks at you and she she thinks you're like her hero. This is often the case for, for bigger sibs, right? Right. Or she loves it when you tell, you know, spend time with her, when she just wishes you would play with her all the time. I know, and I know you don't want to, and I love that you spent a little time playing with her. It meant so much to her. And then you would ask, it looked like you were, you want to find something positive that he feels. It looked to me like you were enjoying it too when you were playing zoo with her. And then he might say, well, she's okay for a little kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or say, yeah, I like playing zoo. Or, yeah, mom, we had so much fun, blah, blah, you know, he'll, he'll say something. But it's, he's unlikely to say, no, no I hated it, right. right? He's at this point. And maybe you want to say, um, I wonder if there are good things, too, about being a big brother. Is there anything good about it? And get him to think about that. And maybe you want to say, um, sometimes, and this wouldn't necessarily be part of the same conversation, but just sometime when you're at the dinner table or in a car or something, What's the best thing you ever learned from your sibling? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, our, my family on Sunday nights, our entire, the kids' entire growing up, we had a family meeting, but it was usually a very short family meeting. We didn't do a lot of business. The most important thing we did was we would always do appreciations. Right. Sometimes we skipped the meeting and just did appreciations, but every Sunday night, we would just do appreciations. And you don't go around the table where Big Brother gets put on the spot where he has to come up with something good about the little sister he's annoyed by. <laughs> right. You just start to throw them in. So I might say, I really appreciated how Eli helped Alice with her, you know, science project. Or I appreciate the dinner that Dad made. Or, you know, so I would say something. And, you know, just say one thing and then you have some other things to throw in when other people sort of stall out. But... If, if Big Brother can't think of anything to say about Annoying Sister, maybe it's even something like, you know, you can say, you, so it might be something like, I appreciated that she took a long nap so I could play with Dad. You know, her mom. Um, and, and you can still make a big deal of that. Oh, yes. Thank you, Brigitte, for taking a long nap so Henry could play with Dad, you know, or whatever. Um, but you could also say, you know, a week is a long time. It's hard to remember everything that happened in a week. But you know what? I saw you two playing outside and you look like you're having so much fun with the hose. Mm -hmm. Was that something to do? Did you appreciate how your sister played with the hose with you? You know, and you can help him find those things. So again, the research shows that when we draw kids' attention, and we draw our own attention to the things we're grateful for or appreciate or where something was positive, we're priming our minds. Our, you know, our brains are sort of primed for the negative to keep us alive, right? But that's the negative negativity bias you might have heard of. Right. But we're priming our minds for the positive, to look for the positive in our lives and value that and be grateful, but also to look for the positives in the relationship. Is there anything that you would add to that when it comes to the kids who are older? And would the conversation really move away from the things that you were just discussing or, the, or would the words just simply become more sophisticated? I think it's the same idea. Yeah. It's the same idea where you're acknowledging how they feel. Yes, I know 
you know, she hogs the bathroom and she wore your shirt without asking. And I, I totally understand why that would make you irate, you know. And, you know, I think we maybe need to have a family discussion about borrowing people's clothes. Because, you know, you owe, there's a house rule about this, right? It should, they deserve your protection in that way. But, but also where you would say, um, I want, here's, a, here's something you could do with an older child that's harder to do with a younger one. It sounds like you feel, I mean, you, this part you would do with the young one. It sounds like you feel pretty jealous of your, your sister. Like you feel like we really always let her have her way. Is that right? And you certainly would do that with any age child. And that's a really important thing to let them do. And it can heal long festering resentments. It's really important to do. But the part I was going to say that you could do with an older child that you're not as likely to be able to do with a younger child is, I wonder if she ever feels jealous of you. Hmm. Right. But you can certainly do that with an eight year old. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder, I wonder, in fact, you know, if if the little sister's five and he's eight, I wonder if she's ever jealous of you. It must seem to her like you're a God, like you can do all these things she can't do. And you get a bed later and you get to go with your dad to the ball game and she doesn't. And you get to have piano practice and she doesn't. And, you know, wow, I wonder if she ever feels that way about you. It just, it helps them sort of loosen up their perspective a little bit. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful way of talking to a child and making sure that that each person knows that they are important, that they're seen, that they're heard, that you understand them, you want to understand what they have to say, and that you're not trying to give them a piece of your mind. You really want to hear what they have to say. And I think, I think that is a beautiful way to parent, not just in talking about sibling relationships, but really most anything that you want to talk to a child about, to understand their perspective, to listen and hear, and to really see them as an individual who has feelings and perspectives that may be different from yours and different from what you had expected from a sibling. And, you know, that kind of parenting that you're describing so beautifully, that's the kind of parenting that gives kids emotional intelligence. It, it's what raises a child who's able to be empathic to others, who's able to see somebody else's perspective, who's able to really, um, over, they're able to handle their own emotions better. And that means they can manage themselves better. And that means they can meet their goals in life better. So they're not just nicer people, which they definitely are. They're also people who can accomplish their own goals. So they're, they're in, the, in the end, they're actually more successful in life and certainly happier in life because they're able to build relationships. The kinds of skills I'm talking about, they will use in every relationship, straight through school, every peer, every teacher, you know, with their first job, with every job for the rest of their lives. And certainly in their marriage or relationship partnerships and with their own children. Mm. I think they're incredibly important and we certainly will be using them ourselves. We've come to the point during the interview where I want to ask for your top tip out of everything we've talked about. What would you hope our listeners come away with when it comes to peaceful siblings? Mm, it is still down to one tip. Is I know it's hard. <laughs> go back to what we said at the beginning, which is the relationship you have with each child. They have to feel like you could never love anyone more. And no matter what your sibling, their sibling is getting, there is always more than enough for them. If you can do that with each child, you know, um, my daughter once said, 
well, I know you love Eli, but I always thought that I was your favorite and dad's favorite. I said, really? I wonder how your brother feels. And she said, oh, he thinks he's your favorite. I said, oh, then maybe we're doing something right. I don't have a favorite, but how great that each of you felt like, you know, you were um, the center of our world in that way. Because I think every child, you know, no, we never want people out in the world to feel like they're the center of the world. But every child deserves a start in life where they feel like they've got their parents on their side and they matter that much. And, you know, that's what we want each child to feel like. And there, that's where the sibling relationship will come from. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much for saying that. And for a resource of the week, where would you want people to go to get more information about you and all the wonderful work you're doing? Well, my website is AHA Parenting, like those AHA moments. So it's ahaparenting.com. It's got a thousand pages on it of free information for parents of all age kids. There is a sibling section and there's a teen section and there's a new baby section and everything in between. And there's also a free newsletter that gives you, it it comes out weekly, but about 120,000 people get it weekly, but about half of those people get two additional newsletters. We call it the daily, but it's three times a week. They get two additional newsletters that are like blueprints. So the one that's going out tomorrow that I worked on today is a script for when your three-year-old hits your one-year-old, what do you do? And it's actually just the script for what the dad does when he intervenes. So they're like blueprints you can use to help you know how to talk to your child and and how to work through those tough moments. I think those are very useful. What we typically hear from parents is that they want the tips, but so many of the time, so much of the time, they want the script so that they know what to say in those moments. Okay, I know I'm supposed to to talk to them. I even know the topic that I'm supposed to be talking to them about, but I don't know what words to say. And while everybody has a different way of speaking, the general idea needs to be relayed so that parents don't feel so much on their own and they feel like they have somebody in their corner rooting them on and saying, you can do this and here's what you can do. Yes. And you know, parents are doing the hardest job in the world. Absolutely. need support. That's why I do what I do is to support parents. And I want to add that all siblings fight. It does not mean you don't have a good enough relationship with your children which, you know, I didn't want you to misinterpret that based on what I said that, you know, that good relationship is prevented. It is. But every sibling set will fight. The question is, can they fight in a way that brings them closer over time? And that's what we're trying to do. I mean, think about it. When when I have a disagreement with my husband, I want to have that fight in a way that ends up bringing us closer. And that's what we do in our marriage. And our children learn to do that too. So there is a way to coach children that they can do that. So yes, your kids will always fight, but you, the parent, can find resources that will help you to coach them so that the fighting can be productive. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I've gotten so much out of this conversation today. I just want to thank you for joining us, for providing so many incredible tips very specific scripts. All of your stories have been just beautiful. And I I really have a sense of how to go about 
working with my kids to help them have better relationships with each other's with with each other and also with other people in their lives. I, I think every skill that you provided today is something that will have many levels and much carryover. So thank you so much for joining us on how to talk to kids about anything. I so enjoyed being with you. So nice to talk to you, Robin. You too. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I imagine you have a lot to share yourself. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. Of course, you should also go to the AHA Parenting page. Let's chat about it. Let's talk. You can talk on drsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And if you love this podcast episode like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so that other people can hear about Dr. Laura Markham and all her amazing tips and scripts. We want to get these things out there. More parents have got to hear about these great tips and how we can really foster some great sibling relationships. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many wonderful podcast episodes up there with great guests. We'd love you to hear them. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on days when you fall short, and you know we all do, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.